Well, good morning, Northside family. How's everybody doing? So far, so good. All right, fully caffeinated, ready to go? <laughs> good. Well, I'm glad that Nate gave me this opportunity. It's, it's something to extend trust in that way, and I'm blessed by that, and I'm also grateful for you guys. I, first time I got to preach here, Nate and I had a quick conversation about the message and where it was going, and he said something about you that I need to, to have you know today. He's bragging on you. He said, here's what you need to know about the congregation. I'm like, okay, what is it? He said, they're for you. They're for you. They're for every guest preacher we have. And I was like, yes! <laughs> so that helps. That helps a lot. We are, we're going to be talking about encouragement today. The unsung hero we're talking about today is Barnabas. And his nickname was the son of encouragement. And you guys are already modeling that well. And I can't wait to talk about this. Just a great, great topic. And it's certainly needed, isn't it? Encouragement. I mean, think about this right now. I, I don't dare go back and retrace the last two, two and a half years, right? You guys know where we've been. You know what we've been working through. But what I would say is while we've got a son of encouragement that we get to talk about today, today we're surrounded by sons of discouragement, aren't we? Daughters of discouragement. And some of it is just the overwhelming facts of life, and some of it is intentional groups of people that are intentionally trying to find ways to discourage the movement of Jesus Christ. And you guys know that to be true. We feel that opposition from time to time. There is strategic discouragement for our way of life and what we believe. And maybe harder than that is, if you don't look at the groups of people that are intentional, look at the individuals who, with no strategy behind it, are overwhelmed. They are individuals who are completely depleted, completely discouraged, beat up. And we see those statistics. We hear from the social workers, the psychologists that are saying, we are booked months in advance. We can't possibly meet every need. You look at the stats on self-harm. And it's heartbreaking. I won't belabor this much longer, but I want to make sure that we're hearing that today is a really important day to hear about encouragement. And it's not just the encouragement that is whimsical, that is uh, empty of, of facts. This is an encouragement that is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've got this son of encouragement that we get to think about today. And what a title. I don't know if you guys earned any nicknames during your lifetime. I've earned a few. But how about this idea of earning the title of son of encouragement? And I don't think they were being facetious, like the, you know, the 380-pound, 6'8 guy who's named Tiny. I don't think it's that kind of you know, nickname. I think this is someone who earned this. And we're going to talk about that for a minute, that he earned this incredible title from an incredible group of people, the son of encouragement. And we're going to look at four different ways that he was that encouragement. But I want to just highlight one more thing here. Every once in a while, I do a deep dive into statistics, and I'm looking at what's going on in the world and how we're doing, and, and I dove deep into this idea of what would be the ideal ratio of uh, encouraging words to discouraging words, you know, corrective to, you know, just affirming. And Harvard Business Review did a study on this in 2013. I found some things there that were really, really interesting. I promise to be brief with this, but I just, I want to highlight what's going on, and I think some of us will take note because maybe you're on the other side of this fence. High-performing work teams looked at these in a, in a particular industry, and it was a wide study, and they said, okay, let's look at the ones that are really performing well. What was that ratio of, hey, you're doing a great job, here's all the things you're good at, versus, yeah, we got to fix this. The high-performing work teams were a 5.6 of encouraging to one negative. 
Not bad, right? And see some heads nodding like, yep, I get that. I wish I had that in my work, workplace. But uh, so 5.6 to 1, and that makes sense. The, the teams that were underperforming, low performing, check this out, almost three negative for everyone positive. And you might say, well, I'm glad I'm not in that workforce, right? But, but we're surrounded with this stuff. And it's not just in that particular industry, and it's not just with those teams. It's with our coworkers. Dare I say it's with our kids? I am hardwired to find problems. I am. That's part of what I do. I see those, and they're, they're like red flags. But if all I'm doing is talking about the problems with the people I love, they're not going to be around much. Amen? Some of us have that skill, which is also a curse for those around them. And so we've got to be careful with this. Do we pour into our kids, the people that we know and love, in such a way that they're getting that 5.6 to 1? And you're not off the hook if you're married without kids, because in that same report, John Gottman says this in his research about marriage. I don't think he's a Christian because he's missing this, this trump card of what Christ can do in an individual. But what he says is the single biggest determinant of a lasting marriage is the ratio of positive to negative comments. Husbands, listen up for a second. Here we go. Those who divorce have a ratio of three positive for every four negative. And until I read this study, I would have thought that was actually pretty good. But that's the determination of divorce. For those that have the healthy or lasting marriage, it's a five to one. Sounds an awful lot like the teams. Five to one of positive to negative. Now trace back in your minds, don't say anything out loud, don't look left and right, but how was dinner last night? How was that dinner conversation? What happened there? A lot of us just think critically, not necessarily negative, but critical, and we gotta be careful. We gotta be careful because the truth is, we need encouragement more than ever. And we beg for it. And some of us, as we get more and more unhealthy and more and more desperate for encouragement, we beg in very inappropriate ways. Just look at social media. And we beg in the wrong areas, not only the wrong ways, but the wrong areas. And we get feedback that we weren't necessarily hoping for, and it's a vicious cycle. If Barnabas, as son of encouragement, was absolutely critical 2,000 years ago, that message and that model is absolutely critical today. Amen? We need that, guys. And so I want to talk about this for just a second. I'm going to highlight one thing before we dive deep into Barnabas. I'm going to look at what I would call my encouragement mentor. I, I've had many great people in my life that have really poured into me, some of them in really impressive roles. And what I want to look at is Al Carius from North Central College. You see the picture there. This is Al. That is quintessential Al. That is how he looks most of the time. The guy's amazing. And let's see, 30... 31 years, 50 pounds, and 10 surgeries ago, I, I ran for this guy. It was a long time ago. And uh, I thought he was kind of old then, and I, I realized that he was my age. <laughs> I realized that yesterday, believe it or not. But Al was fantastic. Al, I got to brag on him for just a second. He was 54 years as head cross-country coach, 44 years as head track and field coach in this little Division three school that rose to prominence. Prominence because there was 19 national championship teams in cross country, and there was uh, 12 indoor and outdoor track and field national championships under his leadership. They finished, get this, in a 47-year stretch, they were top four in the nation all but four times in 47 years. This guy was dominant, so dominant that when it was all said and done, about 600 All-Americans under him, 
that Sports Illustrated recognized him as coach of the century for Division Three. Stud. Check him out if you get a chance. He is still going. He is still coaching. And uh, back 30-some years ago when I was running, I was a freshman, I had this really difficult thing. I was eyes wide open. I didn't realize what a legend I was running for. I was intimidated. The team was amazing. And I got a, a, a situation where I had a conflict with the most important practice of the week, a hill workout that was just awful. And I had to go to Al and say, Al, I'm so sorry. I, I've got a conflict with my schedule. I have to have this class. It happens to be at the exact same time as that particular practice. I mean, you know, disrespect, but what do you want me to do? Very quickly, he said to this freshman that was unaccomplished, he said, what are you doing Thursday? I, I, I'm open. I'm available, Al. <laughs> what are we doing? And he said, well, meet me at, the, you know, at this particular spot and we'll go from there. What I didn't know is Al, the legend, was going to have a one-on-one -on -one with me, just the two of us. And he was in his low, early 50s at that time, and he ran the warm-up with me, and we got to the hill, and he kind of parked halfway on that hill, and Al began to cheer like my life depended on it. And I would go up and down that hill, and he would tell me about who I've been, and he would tell me about who I am and where I'm going, and you're going to do it, Jimmy! And he was just going crazy, and the big old smile, and I, I got goosebumps thinking about it. Guys, we need an Al in our lives. We need somebody like that because we've got the hills every time we turn the corner, don't we? And we've got a race that we're trying to run, this race of faith, and it desperately calls for someone to cheer us on because the world around us and circumstances around us are beating us up. We need this, guys. And so we're going to look at Barnabas. I want that image of Al to stick. I want the image of someone at that hill, that hardest part, to be cheering you on. I want that to stick in our minds because, spiritually speaking, everybody in this room is in a race. And everybody in this room desperately needs encouragement. So we're going to look at Barnabas here. We've got four different things. Barnabas, first of all, was the generous giver. And you'll see this in Acts chapter 4. There's something really interesting happening here. Those of you that know the Bible fairly well know that in Acts chapter 2, we've got Pentecost. And we've, we see in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, this overnight megachurch came in. All kinds of people were baptized. All kinds of people were filled with the Spirit. And there's a gathering, and they're going, whoa, we have to get some, uh, we got to get organized. We got to get organized. We've got to figure out how this is going to work, who's going to lead. And we need resources. And so it, you see in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, this, this kumbaya moment of everybody shared everything. They met together all the time and they're encouraging one or all the time. In Acts chapter 4, you see the same thing. Everything is going great. In fact, in chapter 4, let's see, verses 34 and 35, listen to what it says. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anybody who had need. That's awesome. That's awesome. Anybody. Everybody who had land sold it. And anybody who had need no longer had need. And you'd think it'd stop there. But the very next verse says this. This is where we introduce Barnabas. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, if you pause on that for a second, you'll go, well, didn't we just learn in the previous verse that everybody did that? It was normative. So why are we highlighting Barnabas? I think Luke, the author of Acts, wanted to have a shining example for us, and they chose this moment to say, 
let me talk to you about Barnabas. So while it was normative, here's Barnabas coming in. He's going, guys, here's my field. No questions asked. No strings attached. And it was more than just a monetary value. It was, it was an example. You know, you see in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira do a similar thing, right? Those of you who know your Bibles well know that they came in. They said, here's some money from the property we sold. And they're like, is that all the money? And, and that's where the trouble comes, right? So here we got Barnabas doing this well, almost as a positive to the negative that's about to come. But look what Barnabas does. With this giving, it's a vote of confidence to the leaders. No strings attached. No qualifiers. Here's the money. Have it. I trust you. It was a vote of commitment to be invested for the long haul. This guy wasn't going to come in and then drop it and run. He was in this. It was a vote of confidence in their leadership. It was a vote of community to say that the we matter a whole lot more than the me. And I'd be remiss if I didn't echo back just a little bit for the life of this congregation. Setting the table was just getting off and running as I came on staff. And I heard about what happened at the Yum Center. And I heard about the amazing giving, the sacrificial giving. And so many of you did the same thing. You laid resources and commitments at the feet of our elders, our staff, and said, here. No conditions. We're with you. We're in. And what I'm excited about is that, that commitment ended just a few months ago. And since then, the giving is still above our budget. Because you guys are faithful. And you're in it for the long haul. And you believe in a we more than a me. In a lot of ways, you're already Barnabas. And uh, as a church, we're doing this. C.S. Lewis says something about giving, and then I'll leave the giving topic alone. I'm starting to get on thin ice here, I think. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid that the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. It's not bad. Are we sacrificial before the Lord? even with our giving. And Barnabas was, and that's how we introduced Barnabas to a church, to a world, two millennia later, people that are looking for that example. We see Barnabas again, though, in chapter 9 of Acts. Barnabas here, I'll call him the intentional includer. Intentional includer. Acts 9, 26 through 27 says this. And when he saw Paul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. You see what's happening here, right? Barnabas is in the inner circle. Life's good. But he's hearing about this guy who is a persecutor of the church. And he chooses to go after him. Imagine if this happened in your life group. Can I go there for a second? You like your team? You like your life group? Things are pretty good. I see some heads nodding. Now imagine, hey, we got this. It's, it's a rumor. We're, we're sure it's not true. But there's a guy who just pummeled a bunch of Christians. And he put a couple of them in jail, one in the hospital. And um, he wants to come to your life group. He'll be there for dinner. You don't want that, do you? In this case, Barnabas is like, I love this team, I love what we've got, but I'm going to risk my reputation to go over here and find this guy, Saul of Tarsus, who the scripture says he ravaged the church. Saul of Tarsus would go into homes and grab people, manhandle them, and drag them out and put them in jail just for gathering as Christians. 
Barnabas took a lot of risk. That's what I'm trying to convey. He took risks to go out of the comfort zone to include. He was an intentional includer. He had the trust of the people and he leveraged it. C.S. Lewis, again, I got to reference him. He's got something called the inner ring. He talks about the inner ring. I read it again this morning as just a, a reminder. The inner ring he talks about in a very eloquent way, and I'll pare it down to something that's kind of more like a grunt or two. Hopefully you understand. I can't, I can't speak as well as he does. But he says something like this. We spend all of our lives trying to get to that upper echelon, that elite gathering. It might be social status. It might be in the workplace. It might even be where you sit at the table when you're with your family. It could be something as subtle as, is your name mentioned first among others? And we work so hard to posture ourselves to get in that position where we are in that elite company that once we get there, we kind of ignore the people who helped us get there. Does that sound familiar? Do we see that in places? And his caution is be careful. Be careful because we've got to be includers. And getting into that inner ring is not good if you have to stiff arm everybody that you love on the way there. Barnabas didn't do that. He was in the inner ring, but he's saying, I want to be an intentional includer because Christ matters, and this matters, and there's room at this table. Amen? Guys, we do that. We do that. It's connecting the unconnected. As a church, we do that, and we do that well, and I just want to cheer you guys on. I'll be Al on that hill going, come on, we got more of this. We can do more. Look around. There's some empty seats here. There's some empty seats in your family rooms. We can make this happen. We can go there. We can connect the unconnected. You know, uh, it's been about 10, 12 years ago, I was at a store with my oldest son. And we were talking with the salesman. The salesman knew he was about to get a sale, and he was overly excited to talk with us and kept talking with us. And we were not only talking about the product now, we're talking about life. We're talking about families and where we live. And eventually he asked me that question that I cringe at every time someone asks. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And he, he literally did this, guys. That's good to know. And walked away. And I looked at my teenage son and I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There was a season where reverends were revered, you know, pastors were honored. We're in a season where they're tolerated, and someday we'll be in a season where they're, they're persecuted. Maybe not the most encouraging word for a 12, 15-year-old, but my son said something very interesting after that. He said, I understand, Dad. I experience it every day. In the public school, when people know who my dad is or what I believe, it happens every day. And then he said something that still tears me up. He said, I know it's going to be hard as time goes on. It's all the more important that I go into ministry. And he is. And it's not to be excited about that because only the people that do ministry are those includers. It's the people who aren't doing ministry vocationally that are the includers. Because you reach people that I'll never reach. You. In your role, in your rhythms, in your world, you connect in ways that I never will, that Nate never will, and Nate is a supreme connector. But guys, we are intentional includers. We model after Barnabas. We see what's going on and we see the need. All right, Barnabas is also the sent servant. We see that in Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 26. A sent servant. See, he was a trusted missionary. And he had the clout 
to make these connections happen. There's a verse here that kind of highlights this for us, and I want to dive a little deep into it. It's Acts 11, verse 24. And listen to what it says about Barnabas. Not only does he have this great nickname as the son of encouragement, but here's the way he's described. He is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Not bad for the resume, right? And so here's what's happening. A lot of commentators, a lot of theologians geek out about this grouping of three descriptors for Barnabas. I'll summarize it this way, and I think it's fair. He's a good man, and that's the fruit of the first two things. Because the first two things are he's a man of faith who then trusts in the Holy Spirit to lead him. That's the root. A man of faith who trusts Christ, who follows the Holy Spirit, the outcome is he's a good man. The point is, however we get there with those three things, what we're seeing is we've got a man who is known by the community as good, whose Lord is in the in the clear mirror all the time. He sees what he needs to see. He knows the direction he's going because he knows whose he is. And because of that, they want to send him because they know he'll be a great representative. Because of that, God the Father can trust an assignment to him because he knows he'll be a great ambassador. And the challenge is, is that for us? When was the last time you were sent? I mean, clearly sent. And I don't mean Guatemala. I mean, we've got hundreds going to Guatemala. That's awesome. But I mean, when was the last time you were sent to have that awkward conversation with the neighbor and cheer him on? When was the last time you were sent to slow down with that barista and have a conversation? Chances are you are that good person, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we, we lose our sensitivity to his leading. And we need to be careful. We need to be there. We need to be tuned in because there's everyday assignments for each one of us. I've shared in different contexts that some people are a disciple of Jesus Christ cleverly disguised as an elementary school teacher. A disciple of Jesus Christ cleverly dis disguised as a UPS driver. You get the idea. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ cleverly disguised as something going someplace sent by the King of Kings. It's amazing. And again, we all need it. We all need it. One of my best friends is about 20, 25 years older than I am, and he said something profound to me about five, six years ago. He said, Jim, I've gotten to an age or stage where people stop cheering for me. Some of us in this room are at that place where you're like, I remember when people said, I think you can. And now they're just going, ah, oh, you always do that. You're fine. That's why we do finishing well, because we want people to finish well, because you're not done. And you truly haven't reached an age or a stage where people no longer should cheer you on. They just don't. And so we need to look around and keep our eyes open. But in this same room, in the same church, we've got young people that are overlooked. I got a great passage or a great phrase from a friend of mine back in the early 90s. He said this, while the youth may be young, the Holy Spirit within them is no child. I love that. There's young people that are overlooked right now. They're not encouraged. They're not cheered on. They're not included because, oh, they're young. Eventually, they'll be ready. Turn them loose. The Holy Spirit within them is no child. He's got this. And we've got this opportunity as sent servants to pay attention and to connect in that way. All right, the last one here is Barnabas, the relational restorer. And we see that in Acts chapter 15. In Acts 15, I'm going to paraphrase this because there's something interesting happening here. While he's an intentional includer, he also had to be a restorer. 
In Acts 15, Barnabas and Paul are together and they're doing ministry like they always have and they're about to go back and visit all the churches that they had established. What a great deal. And as they're talking about it, they had a conversation. The scripture says there was no small disagreement. They were clashing. And they're clashing because Barnabas wanted to bring his cousin, the author of the Gospel of Mark, with him. Paul said, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm paraphrasing. He, he bailed on us last time. I'm not going to make that mistake again. And as they clashed, as they fought, instead of being together in harmony on the, all these churches, they went their separate ways. And Paul took Silas. Barnabas took John Mark. They clashed. Barnabas is saying, I want to restore this brother. I know he bailed on us, but it's worth it. And there's some debate on whether Paul was right or Barnabas was right, but ultimately when we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, we see that Paul is saying, hey, this next journey, Barnabas, let's bring John Mark. I found him to be useful. He did it. He did it. And he does it over and over and over again, relational restore. He's constantly finding ways to say, how do I get Paul into this circle? How do I get the Gentiles over there into this circle? How do I get... John Mark, back in good graces with Paul, because you don't want to be in the bad side of Paul. He's working on this all the time. I love this about Barnabas. I love that we get to see even the conflict because it's real. We have it all the time. Are we the kind of people that are going to be relationship restorers? I assume we are. I trust we are. What's interesting about Paul and Barnabas, this is a bit of a side note, but I got to share it. I, I, I love this. I, I read this slowly through several times. And what you see in the early chapters is you see Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas is in the forefront. By chapter 13, they go together to the church that Barnabas had led for quite a while in Antioch. And while they're there, there was a dissension. There was a tough topic. And the guy who jumped up to grab the mic was Paul. And he spoke boldly, he spoke powerfully, and when he did, from that point on, what you hear almost without exception is Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Paul goes on to write most of the New Testament. Barnabas, not so much. Maybe Hebrews. In fact, I think Hebrews. It's like, it's like Barnabas to do that. It's unknown author, a lot of encouragement. Anyway, there is this reordering of this pair, and Barnabas doesn't mind. He's about the relationship and keeping that restored and fresh. John Maxwell says it this way, and I think this would be true of Barnabas. He said, as leaders, we can either be limiters or lifters of people. Barnabas was a lifter. Over and over again, elders in the churches, you got this? I'm out. Paul, you got this? I'm out. John Mark, you got this? Have fun writing that gospel. I'm out. And off he goes over and over and over again, and I absolutely love it. Piper says it this way. He says, biblical leaders have the beautiful gift of fading into the background while pushing others into prominence. That's why Barnabas is one of my heroes. Very few of us have the gift set, the personality, the opportunity to be on a massive platform and be like Paul. Most of us would prefer to be a Barnabas, cheering people on that otherwise wouldn't be cheered on and slowly fading into the backdrop. So Barnabas lifted Paul to prominence. He lifted Mark to restoration. He lifted the Gentile believers to recognition in the church. He lifted elders into places in various cities. 
And he cheered them on to run the race when they were absolutely exhausted. I love it. In Romans 15, it says this, and this is such an important pairing of verses. I hope you grasp this. Chapter 15, verse 4 says this, whatever was written in former days, think about Barnabas, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We need hope. And for 2,000 years, this stuff about Barnabas and others has been preserved that we might have hope because we need endurance. We need encouragement. But the very next verse says this about those two words. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another that you might with one voice glorify God. So you need encouragement, you need endurance, and guess what? God is the God of those things. It's the way it ought to be, and he's cheering us on. If there's no Barnabas, if you're alone, if it's silent out there, you've got a God who is the God of endurance and the God of encouragement. And I want to just say it this way. The God of endurance and encouragement is modeled in Barnabas, but embodied in Christ Jesus. So let's do a quick walk through this. Barnabas was a generous giver, but check out Jesus, the original and ultimate giver. Amen? Barnabas was an intentional includer, but Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, come to me all, all. Barnabas was a sent servant, but how about Jesus? He leaves the inner ring of the Trinity to say, I will go down and get diaper rash with first-time parents. And I will work my way to the Via Dolorosa and I will work my way to a cross where I will die because I want them included. And 99 isn't enough. I want all 100. Amen? That's our king. Barnabas was a relational restorer. Jesus is the restorer. Think about your life. Think about why you're in this room today. He has restored you. He has reached out to you. And not only is this restored, but we see this restored with husbands and wives and kids and parents, friends and coworkers. And at the source and the center of all of that is a savior that wants us restored. He's alive and at work. Barnabas is a great example. Jesus is the ultimate example. And church, we are called to be like him. And that's a weighty task on this encouraging day. One last thought. We celebrate Independence Day tomorrow. As Christians, I think we should celebrate Dependence Day every day. Dependent on him to be that source of encouragement for us, that we might live the way he designed us to live. With that in mind, please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are sufficient and that you have somehow by your means and your way, you have not only included us, but you've sent us. You've restored us to restore. Lord, help us to be a church that is so oozing with encouragement that those who come limping in each and every week would be encouraged. In our private world with you, may we be encouraged. In our public world, may we go out as encouragers, as sent ones. And we simply ask this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.